Hello and welcome to uh, a little bit of a different There Are Giants podcast. Uh, I'm going to try something slightly different today. Um, I reached out recently to my friend, Kerry Crowley, a former Giants beat reporter, a KNBR personality, and really one of my favorite people to talk Giants baseball with. He started doing a podcast recently that he put out, and I just said, hey, Kerry, you want to just do something where we sit and talk about Giants baseball <laughs> together? Uh, and he amazingly said, oh, that sounds like a great idea. So we've decided to start kind of semi-regularly sitting down and just podcasting together, talking about Giants baseball, talking about Giants development, uh, how development feeds into the major league situation. Uh, And it's really just us chatting. Uh, Maybe at some point I'll split this off and make it a separate podcast. But for right now, today's uh, Their Giants podcast is me and Kerry Crowley talking about winning and developing (laughs) at the same time. Uh, and we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, Kerry's going to put it out on his site as well. And uh, I hope you guys do have fun listening to it. Let me know if you think this is something that you want to hear more of in the future. And we'll just see where it goes. Uh, before I bring Kerry on, I'll just remind you that uh, Their Giants is entirely supported by readers of my Substack post, theirgiants.com or rogermunter.substack.com. Uh, so if you like what you're hearing on the podcast and you want to read much, much, much more of my thoughts on the Giants player development system and uh, the players coming up to it, uh, go on over there and subscribe. We're about to get into off-season lists and rankings and depth charts and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, so it's a great time to become a Their Giants subscriber. And with that, uh, let's bring on Kerry and talk a little Giants baseball. All right, we're recording on Tuesday afternoon here. Giants have won four in a row, Roger. And they're doing something interesting in the month of September, and this is something that you've talked about for a while. I've talked about on KMBR and now on my show, and that is they're trying to both develop their young talent and compete for a playoff spot and win some games at the same time, which I think you know better than anyone is an incredibly difficult task to do both at the same time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. It's hard both ways, right? It's hard to win with a lot of young players in your, in your lineup. I know Mike Kruka always says that September is not for rookies. And we've seen that this year, those, those months where they had like four or five rookies at their end of their lineup. It was really, really hard for them to, to sustain rallies or win games that way. It's also hard the other way. It's hard to develop when the demands of the game are forcing you, you know, the way they like to approach game by game building it's platooning, it's pinch hitting. So we see Marco Luciano get pinch hit for his first game. Louis Matos get pinch hit for his first game. There's a there's a reason why a lot of really good major leaguers start their careers on bad teams yeah. that can give them five, six hundred at bats to just go fail for a while in low intense situations. And it is hard for these guys to get the runway they need when the team is trying to win every day. It's hard for the team to win every day when they've got a lot of inexperience in the lineup. It's it's a tricky little uh, needle to thread. Yeah. I, when you say it's really interesting to see a young player get 500 to 600 bats on a young team, the guy who jumps out to me right away is CJ Abrams and what he has done this year with the Washington Nationals. Because 
let's say the Padres did give him those at bats. And last year, the Padres trying to get in the playoffs and ultimately do get in the playoffs. Maybe they just don't have that opportunity for CJ Abrams. Maybe he never becomes this incredible young breakout talent that we're seeing in Washington, D.C. with the Nationals. And the Giants are trying to have it both ways. They're trying to do what the Padres did last year, which is get in and then make a run. And they're trying to have Luis Matos be set up for 2024 success. Casey Schmidt looking like he can be a part of what I think their hope for him is probably be a top 10 player on the roster right now. And who knows? He might be more in that 12 to 17 to 18 range. But ah, it's just such a tricky balancing act. And I think it's especially hard when you've got the scrutiny of well, this organization hasn't won a playoff series since 2014. So they 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 maybe didn't help themselves at the outset of the season when they said it's kind of playoffs or bust. At least that's what Larry Bear and Farhan Zaidi seem to do. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about expectations before we get done here today. But uh, but just staying on this on this train for a little while. What's tricky, of course, is simply giving a guy 500, 600, 1,000 at bats doesn't guarantee anything. I mean, yeah. C.J. Abrams... I'm a big C.A. James Abrams fan, but this same organization down the street from me gave five years to Victor Robles, right? And Victor Robles was like a top 10 prospect in oh, the yeah. game. Everybody expected him to succeed. And you just keep giving him those at bats and giving him those at bats. And at some point you realize it didn't happen. We didn't get the player we were hoping to. Um I mean, to me, player development, there's the, you got to get them to the majors. That's hard and it takes forever. Then there's, can they stick or do they immediately disappear again? Then there's, okay, they stick. Can they become a good starting player in the major leagues? Rather than those guys, they're those guys who are always in that like one win, one war area, yeah. right? Who just eat up at bats and they never quite get over the hump to where they're a good quality starter that used to call second division starters. And then the last one is, can you win with the talent once you finally get it? And every single one of those steps is hard and fraught with difficulty and brings attrition. You know, there are people fall by the wayside at every one of those kind of mile markers in player development. It's a really hard process. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, really fascinates me about the process is ever since I can remember growing up watching the San Francisco Giants and seeing this organization, the I guess I wouldn't say early days of the Brian Sabian era, but the days when people were saying, okay, maybe we could move on from Brian Sabian. Maybe the Giants aren't going anywhere. Uh, maybe after that 2,300 win season where they start the process of tearing down and they're ready to bring in some new young talent. It's like everyone wants to see the next young kid. Everyone wants to see the next prospect in the big leagues. And you're ready to move on from the talent you have. And you make these quick determinations on, you know, 30, 40, 50 game sample sizes, when in reality, it takes sometimes two or three years to really know what you have in a player. And the guy who I keep coming back to is Logan Webb came up at the end of the 2019 yeah. season and in 2020 wasn't good. Um, and 2021 takes him halfway through the year and he's incredible at that point, right? Yeah. I, I it There's so many players that, when you were talking about that, Brian Sabian, I was thinking of Emmanuel Burris. Remember Emmanuel oh, Burris? Yeah. Second round draft choice in the, in the Tim Lincecum draft, I believe. Comes yeah. up and has this great September in 2008. And they say, okay, this is our guy. They give him the starting job in 2009. And he just was kind of a drag on the whole lineup, ultimately getting uh, 
uh, Freddie Sanchez uh, fixed a big hole in that lineup. But you get these guys and you really believe in them, kind of like David VR last year, right? You, they show you something and say, oh, here's one. We can we can hang our hat on this. And then the league starts to adjust and they can't make the adjustments back. And it becomes really, really difficult. Logan Webb's becoming a guy who's really fascinating to me um, for another reason, because, uh, you know, as you know, the Giants have had a really interesting process on their pitching development side this year where they've right. really cut innings down there most of the time they're holding guys to 60 70 pitches i think there's only been one 90 pitch effort in the minors this year and i'd have scouts ask me are they doing this for everybody what are they doing here and uh this conversation i've had with people in the in the giants organization itself it's like they don't want to waste the bullets once you figure out by looking at the metrics that a guy's pitches will play at the majors they really don't want to waste those bullets down in the minors the other side of that argument is how do you teach them how to navigate through a game how do you teach them how to pitch six seven innings if they're never doing it in the minors and logan webb's kind of a proof of concept of that because he never did it in the minors because of his weird development he had that tj took him a couple years to come back from that they never really had him go more than five innings and then he got the suspension. And really, you look at his minor league career, you can count on one hand the times he's going past five innings. And it's right at the end, right before he came up in 219 that you're talking about. He has completely learned how to pitch in the sixth, seventh, eighth innings at the major league level. And if that's something that this team thinks it can do, then you don't need to worry about you know loading up innings on Kyle Harrison or Keaton Wynn or Mason Black in the minors. Yeah, it's... It's interesting because I talked about this a little bit on one of my shows and it was, I'm actually okay with the Giants leaving Kyle Harrison in a batter too, too long right now, because he never had that experience in the minor leagues because they so safely guarded his innings and Mm -hmm. turned their investment that they made in him by making sure that, Hey, if he was going to blow out, he wasn't going to do it, you know, throwing 150 innings at AAA this year. That's not what their whole plan was. And so, yeah, is the decision to leave him in against Garrett Cooper, a bad one in hindsight, of course, but at the same time, could Kyle Harrison, if he got Garrett Cooper out, be a better pitcher in the long run and maybe be a better pitcher in the month of September because he's learning how to get that out because he is going a little deeper into a game. I don't mind that decision as much as I did in the moment, because like you said, the Giants whole strategy now is dependent on pitcher development at the major league level. We saw it the other night with Keaton Wynn. Things could have gone really south for him against the Rockies after he Mm -hmm. takes that 108 mile an hour liner off his leg and Roger, he figured it out. I mean, the the splitter was so good. That's one of my favorite outings I've probably watched this season from a Giants pitcher. You know, I am a huge Keaton Wynn fan. I when I did my midseason ranking, I had him as the number four prospect in the system. Um, and a lot of people were like, Well, what are you doing there? And why do you have him above Wizenhunt? Nobody in the system throws harder than he does as a starter. Yeah. Nobody throws more strikes. And the splitter is a great, great pitch. We're seeing that across baseball. Guys who can throw a splitter get out in the major leagues. Um, you could maybe argue the Wizen Hunt's change is better, but it's close to being the best specialty pitch in the system. You, If you've got a guy who throws harder than anybody else, throws more strikes than anybody else, and has the best specialty pitch, that's a pretty good prospect, you know, in my mind. And yeah. again, this is where developing and winning is such a hard thing because if Keaton Wynn were in the A's system, 
he'd have 20 starts this year, right? Yeah. And we'd, we'd have a better idea of who he is. <laughs> yeah. And instead, the Giants are going to go into this offseason, even if they make the playoffs, and even if Keaton Wynn does have three more quality starts down the stretch, they're still not going to be able to count on him in 2024 because there's just so much projection that has to be done off of the limited number of innings that he has at the major league level. So we see Harrison in the big leagues now, Roger. We see Keaton Wynn in the big leagues right now. Are the Giants learning enough about what they need to do this offseason to build a contender for next year? Well, I, that was going to be my question for you is how do you approach the offseason when you have so much uncertainty um, and particularly on the player player position side? I mean, yeah. Casey Schmidt, Louis Matos, Wade Meckler. How do you approach your thinking about giving those guys opportunities? Do you want to? keep a position open for guys? Do you want to go out and get quality major leaguers and just let them figure out a way as the season, you know, provides its opportunities the way it always does. How are you thinking about this group of talent, particularly if, and maybe we can talk about expectations. Yeah. Uh, Farhan Zaidi has said over and over, we think of ourselves as a team that goes to the playoffs every year. <laughs> which, which is admire. a laughable statement in my mind right it now. is true that in 65 years of giants history they have done back-to-back playoff appearances exactly one time so this is aspiration and it's a good aspiration yes but i will say that when i hear that i don't think we're going to build an 85 win team and see if we can sneak into the last playoff spot, right? That's not what that means. The teams that expect to go every year are the ones in the first, second, third seeds, not the fourth, fifth, sixth ones. That's not a sustainable model. So if this team kind of continues floundering around 500 and maybe makes the sixth spot or maybe doesn't, how does that impact what they have to do in the winter for, with this roster? Yeah, I, I have come to a pretty good consensus in my own mind, which is difficult enough. You know, building consensus among multiple people is challenging. <laughs> building consensus with both halves of my brain right now is challenging when I think about the San Francisco Giants. Uh, every day, I think something different that probably contradicts a previous opinion that I have. But I think <laughs> if Farhan and Gabe go into this offseason with contracts that are set to expire at the end of the 2024 season, and I don't think that they should be given extensions beyond 20. 24 just yet based off of their body of work then i think they need to become more risk averse they need to take some gambles and bet on themselves and bet on their own decision making bet on the prospects in the system and either a sign the bigger free agents you know whether it's an otani or a matt chapman or a someone at the top mm. of the market like a blake snell completely sit out the group of b list free agents who are going to sign who are your mitch hanegers your that's Tom their sweet spot And that should not be their sweet spot this offseason. They need to sit out the B list and sign the C list, high upside, one year people who are not getting that club option that they gave a Ross Stripling and a Sean Mania. It is a, hey, you're coming off a terrible season like a Cody Bellinger was coming off of with the Dodgers, but we are going to bet on you. And you know what? If that bet doesn't work out in April or May, we're going to bet on Louis Matos to play the final 100 games of the season. We're going to bet on Casey Schmidt to be an everyday starter. And it can't be this in-between two to three year or one year with an option sweet spot deal that they've tried to thread the needle with because that needle is impossible to thread right now if you're serious about building a team that contends on an annual basis in my mind. So I would rather see 
a bust with a one-year deal than someone who kind of works out as a one, one and a half war player on a two or three-year deal. So I'll approach this from a different angle. I think at some point they have to assess their process and the way they manage games. Um, Going back to our original conversation of how do you win and and develop at the same time, you know, we had that that uh, slight kerfuffle a couple of weeks ago where where Gabe said we're trying to develop everyday players, not platoon players. And that lasted for about two days um, <laughs> at some point or, or they say we really want a rotation of starters. And then you get, you know, six days of openers in, in eight days. At some point, they have to be willing to let people go out there and fail a little bit and not be trying to stage manage every single at bat, which does an admirable job of finding value around the margin, but you've got to get the value in the center at some point. And you're not going to do that if you are developing a lot of complementary players, which is kind of what's going on right now. You're developing maybe more Austin Slaters. And at some point you got to develop every day, three, four, five war guys. Yeah. Is Elliot Ramos being developed in the next Austin Slater, by the way? <laughs> is this the offseason where the Giants say uh, the arbitration cost is going to be too much for Slater? Elliot Ramos, you're the new pinch hitter against left-handers. I, I kind of worry about that because I would have liked to have seen the month of September be an Elliot Ramos month. And I know that Mitch Hanniger's back. I know that you've got to play him. You can't have five Ross striplings who are just sitting on the sidelines waiting. But I really would have liked to have seen Elliot Ramos get 100 at bats this month. I mean, your worry is a level of above my worry because my worry is that they're not developing Elliot for anything. Um, yeah, I, I really I've written about this a few different times. The the decision to call up Wade Meckler when they did when they had no pressure to add him to the roster, rather than using Yaz's uh, extended outage as an opportunity to see what Ramos could do, was a real inflection point in the season. I think there was a real sliding doors moment there um, because Mecca does a lot of things I like. What they needed at that point was impact. And Ramos was providing some of that that week. And yes, he's a flawed player. And yeah, there's a lot of swing and miss. And yes, I know they like players who control the zone. But at some point, you need what you need. And maybe going outside their comfort level would have served them better. I don't know where Ramos is in this organization at this point. Yeah. Does not feel it does not feel like he's uh, on the on the up on the uptrend with the with the powers that be. No, no, it certainly does not. And it leads to questions like, you know, how do you develop a young hitter if you're the Giants into the future? And we've talked a little bit about how they're developing their young pitchers. And that is, hey, you're going to figure it out at the major league level. You're going to go three or four innings if you're Kyle Harrison or Mason Black or Carson Wisenhunt, these guys who have the high upside who really could be holding rotation jobs by the middle of 2024 if all goes well in their development process. For hitters, Roger, do the Giants need to rethink their approach at all? And you touched on this a little bit with Elliot Ramos and Wade Meckler, but do you see them changing it next year? I guess is the better question. I I think they are pretty wedded to their the things they value, and and yeah. it's a result based business. So it, at the end of the year, if you didn't get where you thought where your projection said you're going to be, you have to reassess. But there is such ironclad faith in swing decisions and the importance of swing decisions. It was interesting this year watching kind of the two uh, trajectories of Meckler and Matos because Meckler did 
everything the Giants ask of their players about as well as you could do it in the minor leagues. He does not swing at balls. He hits balls in the strike zones. He does those two things <laughs> with a metronome-like consistency in the minor leagues. Now he got to the majors and he found out that big league breaking stuff and off seat stuff is a whole different thing and had some ungodly numbers against them. I mean, it's a 60% whiff rate and yeah. I think a 0% batting average against curveballs uh, or breaking balls. Matos does not do the things that they value in their metrics quite as well, although he did much better this year at uh, having a plan and, and, and cutting his chase down, but his, his bat speed and his contact skills are so extreme. So kind of elite that he was able to perform better when he saw big league stuff uh, simply because he can get his bat on the balls and he can hit it with a little bit more authority than, than Meckler does, which is going to be something we have to watch going forward. None of the guys who came up this year really hit the ball hard. And we know from Statcast data that there is no more important thing that a big league batter can do than hit the ball hard consistently. Um, and that's something we really haven't seen. It's, it's, it's a worrying point for their, for their future growth. Yeah. I mean, maybe Elliot Ramos is the guy hitting the ball the hardest and he's the one who's not getting the opportunities. <laughs> maybe Marco Luciano comes up at the end of the season. Now that he's back on uh, this rehab assignment and he gives the giants some hope in that regard, but think that we've touched on some interesting factors with regard to the Giants and their development. You've obviously studied the way that these kids are coming through the minor league system and the approach under Farhan Zaidi and farm director Kyle Haynes. And I wonder now that you've watched so much of these young kids at the big league level this season, Roger, do you think that this group has the capacity to be an entertaining future core? Are there enough guys in this farm system who've come up right now who will engineer the type of excitement that the Giants so desperately need. Because I think if I have one big picture concern for this team, it's not that, hey, they're not going to be able to field the role players who fit their system. They're not going to be able to field the pitchers who you know fill out their pitching staff and can get them 81, 82, 83 wins in a year. It's, are there guys in this farm system and now on this major league team who will one day be like the box office type of guys who generate excitement around the the Bay area, around Oracle park, because I don't know. And maybe Marco Luciano is the answer, but you're, you're the more qualified person to answer that question. So Sam Miller, the, the great national baseball writer, Sam Miller mm-hmm. has a subsec um, post nowadays, uh, which is amazing because everything does is amazing. He he does a mailbag every now and then. And one of the recent ones, somebody wrote in a question when the Giants were playing the Reds. The question was, am I watching the game's most entertaining team play its most boring one? And I and which is harsh, but that is the way I think the national the nation looks at the Giants as a terrifically boring team. Uh Sam's way of answering that was to note that almost nobody on the Giants roster has ever had a, a five win season, which is not the mo- the highest bar in the world. Uh, yeah. I think it's, I think it's Brandon Crawford. I think Brandon Crawford's the only player on fan graphs who's ever had a five win season. Mitch Hanniger and, and Conforto were really close, but basically nobody's ever been really, really good. I think the other problem is there aren't a lot of tools. Uh, you know, the Reds are exciting because Ellie David Cruz 
is the one, the fastest player in baseball and hits the ball the hardest in baseball and throws the ball the hardest in baseball. There is not a lot of that kind of tools based excitement in the giant system. To be honest with you, there's not a lot of speed in this system. Uh, Wade Meck was fast. Tyler Fitzgerald is pretty fast, but it's not a fast system. Marco Luciano hits the ball hard and that's always entertaining, but you don't go to, watch their affiliates and have your jaw drop at the tools uh, yeah. in general. And I think that's part of their process based approach that they like the things guys do in the, in the batter's box. It's not, there's not a lot of real visceral thrills. Uh, yeah. I would say watching, watching the guys in the system. So the the one counter I have to that is maybe the approach is this moving forward for the giants. Maybe it's Logan Webb, it's Kyle Harrison, it's Carson Wisenhunt, it's Mason Black. It's building your rotation of the future. And we know that Giants fans love great starting pitchers. We (laughs) saw it a decade ago. We're going on now 15 years ago. I was hooked in 2007 when the Giants sucked and you had Matt Cain and Tim Lincecum on the mound two out of five days. That was incredibly fun to watch, maybe more so than some of their great teams, in part because I was a kid. I was learning how to pitch myself. That was just one of my favorite eras that I've ever seen of Giants baseball, and they weren't that good. So maybe their path is you bring up these young kids, you build your rotation in the future, and you look at the position players from those teams. Roger, like Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, Pablo Sandoval, Buster Posey, were there loud, loud tools for those guys? You can correct me if I'm wrong. No, not in general. I mean, the Posey's defense and his hit tools uh, were loud, but uh, uh, Pablo's personality was loud, which was always <laughs> in- enjoyable. Um, but I, I know I totally agree with you. Tim Lincecum made it cool to be a Giants fan. Yes. He made being at Oracle Park fun and cool and hip, and he brought the excitement. And yeah, Kyle Harrison is that kind of player too. Uh, strikeouts are always fun, even though we get a little bit too too much of them. Um, but I, I here I'll, I'll I'll air my grievance a little bit. Let's I watch at, <laughs> I watch <laughs> athletic competitions to see great athletes do great athletic things. I really don't want to watch. You know, DH fans always used to say nobody goes to the stadium to watch a manager think. Mm-hmm. A little bit too much Giants baseball right now is about watching the organization think. And I really want it to be about watching great athletes do great athletic things. I don't know. Where, I don't know where you stand on that. Yeah. Uh, part of me really did enjoy the 2018 season, Farhan's first in San Francisco, or excuse me, the 2019 season, Farhan's first in San Francisco when the Giants trotted out a National League record number of players because <laughs> I was introducing myself to someone new in the clubhouse every day. And thinking, gosh, there's no chance they're going to stick. You know, <laughs> Connor Joe, Michael Reed, good luck. And that's what most Giants fans thought. And it was kind of a sick entertainment that, hey, this is this is what's going on right now. But it's year five, and you can't treat waiver claims with excitement anymore. He, no. Look, you're going to find certain players in minor league deals, and maybe you get one a year. And I think that, look, Blake Sable this year was their guy, uh, a rule five pick, someone they took from another organization. And he may have a long-term future in the organization, but you're not building a championship core. You're not building an annual perennial contender, a team that's like Farhan Zaidi said, competing and contending for a playoff berth on an annual basis with your waiver claim pickups. If you're just massaging spots 26 to 40 of your 40 man roster, 
it's not going to cut it. I stand where you stand on the, let's see some players with incredibly loud tools. Let's see people who you want to buy their jersey and you want to put the name on the back of that jersey. And you're willing to say, hey, there might be a cruise patch on this jersey, but I still want to buy the jersey. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe my hope is that Kyle Harrison is that guy and Carson Wisenhunt can be that guy. And Bryce Eldridge, look, the swings that he's had that I've seen oh, man. seven to 10 highlights that have been posted. Bryce Eldridge, you can't tell me he's not hitting the ball hard with pops. So I don't know. Yeah. Anytime you're talking about a farm system, you're always talking about hope and, and optimism for the future, which is part of why I think that Giants fans have clung to it more, more closely in the last few years. But I'm absolutely in agreement with you that they've got to get guys who generate excitement and tools generate excitement. Um, yeah, Bryce Eldridge, stupid, stupid power. That's yeah. one of the bigger, bigger tools in the system. And, and Reggie Crawford, too. I mean, if they could get him on the field a little more often, lefties to throw 100, always fun. Uh, I, you know, one thing you said on on your on your podcast that came out um, yesterday or today is if they had the core, if they found those players, I would absolutely trust this front office to put in the depth of roster around them to make it successful which doesn't always happen you know it's yeah. there are there are teams that develop really really good players and just never win with them I mean, there was there was a there was a kansas city royals team a long time ago in the in the 90s somewhere that literally had like carlos beltran jermaine oh, yeah. guy johnny damon mike sweeney they had like six or seven guys who were in their early 20s really good and Koskin called, and somehow they like never won 70 games with that team. So you really do have to have the guys who can figure out depth. And, and that's really important. Um, so if we could find a few of those, those marquee guys to hang the, hang the hat on, I do believe they would put a really good team around them. Yeah. How we get to that. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I, as we wrap up here, I guess I wonder are you more interested in seeing the final three weeks of this season play out? Or are you more interested, even though the Giants can conceivably earn a playoff spot, or are you already, already more interested in what they do this offseason? Because to me, so much needs to change. And I do think that the Giants are smart enough to understand that changes need to be taking place with their process that I am more interested in the offseason than maybe what's going to transpire on the baseball field. And I think that maybe a little bit of that was reflected with the Giants attendance on Monday night against the Cleveland Guardians. And I know it's a Monday. I know that school's back. Everyone wants to use their excuses. But you look at the 2018 and 2019 attendance numbers, and it tells you that the Giants need those stars. They need those tools. Yeah, well, the Warriors do a pretty good job down the street of uh, filling the house. Look, I'm... I'm a sucker. <laughs> They're playing. I'm going to watch them. If I watch them, I'm going to root for them. But I hate, I hate the current playoff format. I hate that oh. they make me feel interested in a team this mediocre. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like expanded playoffs. I'm one of the few Giants fans who at the end of 93 said that was a great year. It, it was a gut punch, but it was a great, great year. And we got to the postseason and watched great teams going at it. I don't want to watch 500 teams in the playoffs. Yeah. So, but I will because, you know, I'm, because I'm, hooked. I'm, I'm right there with you so, watching, watching the first few innings of every game and then watching the, the final few the next morning. That's what I do. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in the long haul, 
you want to see this team get to the point where they're actually doing getting to their stated aspiration, which is not a team that's going to be every year in March. You say, yeah, they could win 84 for 85 games. They can be in the mix. It's a team that you look and say, yeah, they're probably 94, 95 or more wins. They're going to be in one of these spots. That's what I think we all want them to see. I'm not sure. This is a such a terrible free agent market. Oh. And I don't know what their trade, who they, what their trade situation is. Some degree, I'm not sure, but, run it back and hope it turns out better is going to be their approach this winter, which is a really bad approach, generally speaking. Yeah. You're going to sell about five season tickets. <laughs> I mean, I talked to a lot of, it's amazing. I think every season ticket holder ever has emailed me uh, because when I was on the beat, the number of people who claimed they were season ticket holders and claimed they were giving them up. Uh, I heard from all of them. That, that was always fun. I was I always loved getting getting those messages. And I do miss that to some degree, which is why I've got this podcast now and why I'm <laughs> we're, we're doing these shows together, because we can talk about the state of the Giants, the state of the major league team, the state of the farm system. And I think that uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun doing this, Roger. So let me ask you a question uh, before we go, Carrie. Yeah. If you let's uh, I'll put Patrick Bailey aside, because I think Patrick Bailey's defensive skills make him a keeper. And, and yes. however the bat turns out, you know, he's going to be a valuable player. And I'm going to put Kyle Harrison aside of the rest of the group of rookies this year. Who do you see turning into one of those three, four, five war guys? Keaton win in part because you're so high on Keaton win. And I trust your analysis of him. And like you said, when you have that velocity and that splitter, it may take you a bit like it took Kevin Gossman a, a bit, but there's a proven path to success in the major league level there. So he yeah. can get to three. I think Marco Luciano, if he's healthy, can get there. But I'm not, I would not rule out the possibility of trading Marco Luciano because when you're 21 and dealing with back issues, uh, as someone who's, you know, 30 and dealing <laughs> with back issues. Uh, they don't go away. You wake no. up every day and your back feels worse. So <laughs> if you're 21, it's not a good sign. But beyond that, I mean, Wade Meckler's ceiling is Stephen Kwan. Um, ah, at, at best, really. Yeah. I mean, oh, see, Stephen see Kwan hits the ball harder than Wade Meckler does. Uh, yeah. So that's that's a projection there. I would have liked to have seen Elliot Ramos more. I don't think that Tristan Beck can get there, but I do think that Tristan Beck can be a really productive member of a major league pitching staff. I'm yeah. sold on that idea, and I think that he fits the Giants' ethos, what they want to do there. Katie Schmidt, I I think, can be a one-and-a-half, two-war player. I think that three is maybe stretching it. So we're talking about a farm system that still has a long way to go, right? Yeah. Yeah, we are. I, I just backtracking a second. I still can't get over the fact that Oregon state had Stephen Kwan, Wade Meckler and Nick Madrigal on the same team. I mean, like, <laughs> how much, That's a pretty incredible. how much soft hitting can you possibly have on one, one team? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into this now because we don't have time, but I was reading a fan graphs article about um, the ability to improve hard hit Um which is not much. It's, it's much less yeah. than we think it is. Uh, that makes me a little dubious on Casey Schmidt. Uh, and even Louis Matos, who I love. I've always been a Matos fan. Um, the Giants say this. He has got to get stronger. Yes. He has got to get stronger. He has got to hit the ball harder. They want him to get faster. Those things have to happen. If they do happen, he's still a guy I can see being above average uh, yeah. major league starter in the outfield. He just... he 
has a real intuition for the game. He's got great instincts. He's got great plate coverage. He can hit nasty stuff as we've seen. Um, but he's got to get stronger. If he yeah. does, I think there's a, I think there's an above average starter there too. I think 2025 is Matos this year. I think that next year he'll still be up and down and it's still going to be a, a long winter in the weight room. But I, I think by 2025, we could see that out of Matos. He's still 21. Yeah. I mean, the, the real problem with Matos is he doesn't doesn't have a big frame. He's a, he's, he's a smaller guy and to get the same kind of core strength. Uh, I was talking with somebody in a front office recently. I said, if you hang around major leaguers, as you know, they're monsters. These oh. are huge people. So getting that same kind of strength plate every day. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is hard to get the same kind of strength. Those big people have when you're not their size. And that's, that's really Matos challenge. I think. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this up. Uh, great stuff, Roger. Thank you so much for, for inviting me to do this with you and uh, look forward to a lot more of it. I appreciate it, Carrie. And uh, I, I really was excited when you, you responded to this because I, I have more fun talking to Giants baseball with you than anybody I know. So hopefully people have fun listening to us too.